It is often said that the passion for animals begins early, and veterinarians discover their life calling well before their teenage years. And most who enter the profession believe that they will remain practicing veterinarians for their entire careers. Welcome to Vet Talk with Royal Caden, where we will address an array of topics relevant to veterinarians and veterinary clinics. I'm Brenda Andreessen, Chief Strategy Officer at Stevens & Associates, and your host for today's conversation about lessons learned. Joining me today are Congressman Dr. Kurt Schrader, U.S. Representative for Oregon's 5th District, and Dr. Brent Mayab, Chief Medical Officer for Royal Canaan, two very accomplished men whose passion for veterinary medicine has supported their careers, even when they took slightly different paths. So welcome, Congressman Schrader, and welcome, Dr. Mayab. Thank you, Brenda. Thanks, Brenda. Congressman Schrader, tell us just a little bit more about yourself before we begin our conversation today. Sure. Thanks for having us on, Brenda. I appreciate it. Uh, Kurt Schrader, I'm the U.S. Congressman for Oregon's 5th Congressional District, which is uh, the Willamette Valley, south of Portland, and the central Oregon coast of our great state here. I've uh, been in Congress uh, oh, a little over 12 years now, uh, came from the state legislature, uh, and a 33-year uh, veterinary career, uh, treating horses, dogs, and cats in the valley here. Uh, just a Wonderful opportunity to, to move on and serve my country uh, and serve my community in a different capacity from my veterinary career. Well, really excited to have this conversation with you today. And many of you listening to the podcast have, have met Dr. Brent Mayeb or have heard him speak. But for those of you who don't, um, Dr. Mayeb, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, thanks, Brent. I'm happy to be back. And um, I'm Brent Mayeb. I am the Chief Medical Officer of Royal Canaan. I've been at Royal Canaan now about 17 years in various roles. And prior to that, I was in full-time private practice, small animal practice outside of St. Louis, Missouri, where I'm still located. And I still do a bit of relief work locally for a humane society today, even. Really excited to have this conversation today. I think we're going to you know, learn some insights from each of you and uh, maybe have a little fun along the way, too. So I want to start by asking you about your path a little bit. So many of my friends in this profession have shared with me that veterinary school prepared them for real life in ways they never imagined. So what from your veterinary school experience and in practice has had a really unexpected impact on your life that you think others might be able to learn from? Congressman, let's start with you. Well, that's a pretty big question. Uh, I think a lot of answers to that. Uh, my goal, uh, I loved animals, uh, so became a veterinarian. Actually, I didn't wanna become a veterinarian after I was in college for a number of years. So I thought, damn, too much school. Uh, I don't want to go to school forever. But then uh, uh, came back to my first love, veterinary medicine, and found vet school was extremely hard and difficult, but a lot of fun. Uh, when you're doing something you love, the the difficult work uh, fades away, if you will, a little bit. And uh, it was uh, it's been great. Uh, and in going to vet school, uh, the first thing you learn is that while your goal is to deal with animals, maybe you're not thinking you're such a people person. But uh, by the end of vet school, you realize pretty quickly, well, gosh, you got to have a few people bring those animals in. You don't be not very successful. So you actually learn a lot of uh, people skills. Uh, you learn how to read people's uh, body language. You learn how to uh, ask good questions that uh, don't make people defensive to where you can't get the answers you need to help your, your patients. Uh, 
you tend not to talk down to people because you need to have your clients understand some of these pretty difficult disease concepts and why they got to give Fluffy that pill four days or four times a day and not lose a finger uh, in the process. Uh, so you got to be able to communicate well. Uh, and that's all stood me in good stead, uh, frankly, as a, as a member of the United States Congress and just dealing with people going forward. Last thing I guess I'd say, I was a little surprised uh, back in the day uh, when I was in vet school, they had a small, uh, I think it was a six week uh, semester, part of a semester class on business management. You know, as veterinarians, uh, we're very vested in our uh, technical prowess and our diagnostic prowess. Uh, and prefer to deal in that space. But uh, back in the day, private practice was something a lot of us aspire to and needed to have a little bit of background to business to be able to do that. And I was very surprised that class I took, that little six weeks was a, a, a godsend and a lifesaver for me. So I was able to start my own practice and frankly, keep it going. So a lot of good skills. Yeah, that's really good. A good overview of, of, you know, what you learned along the way that you didn't expect you necessarily and how you applied it afterwards. So good insight for a lot of us listening to this podcast. Dr. Mayab, tell us a little bit about what you what you've learned along the way that you didn't expect. Yeah, I mean, I think many of the things that Congressman Schrader really resonated with me too. And it was, there was this point of realization that this is not going to be just about the pets that you are going to have to be able to communicate well with people. And, you know, that's a surprise for, I think, a lot of us in vet school, but, but communication skills were critically important. One of the other things that, that I took away is vet school really is a very broad education and it, and it teaches you how to think through problems critically. And, and specifically, one of the things that I've taken away in a lot of my jobs uh, since then is, is how to not just look for the, um, in medicine, we call not just treating the clinical sign, but treating the, treating the disease is how to not just look for the superficial manifestation of a problem, but how to dig down a level or two underneath and find the root cause of a problem. And, you know, working in a, in a variety of different corporate jobs that has served me really well, because a lot of times it's very tempting to, to tackle the issue that you do see without actually tackling the issue behind the issue. And in veterinary medicine, you learn very quickly that that's not really going to solve your problem. Um, and so that that's one of the big things is the ability to think a little bit more critically and to think about problems more holistically. Do, do either of the two of you, both of the two of you, feel that there is a piece of information that could be made more clear? to students as they're considering entering veterinary school or applying for veterinary school, you know, based upon your own personal experiences? Well, I think following up what uh, Brent was saying that uh, being able to go into depth in problems is critical. Uh, the, the emphasis nowadays in medicine, whether it's human or animals, more holistic approach to your, your patient's needs. You don't treat just that immediate thing coming in the door, but you realize there's some other issues maybe that this patient has, or frankly, the clients of the patient have, and how to deal with those things is extremely important. Uh, I, I don't know if Brent's a little younger than I am, but I remember the, the old soap, remember the soap process? Uh, and I use that all the time uh, to assess different situations. Uh, when you have a piece of legislation in front of you, 
uh, ostensibly people want this, but when you dig a little deeper, no, they actually want this. Uh, a good example where climate change is a big issue these days and people uh, you know, are not keen on fossil fuels, but their real goal when you cut through it is to reduce carbon emissions and maybe some fossil fuels, if you could get them not to have uh, emissions, wouldn't that be a better uh, outcome and an alternative good outcome? And so you try and think through some of these things. And I think that's extremely important for folks to uh, to, to think about uh, as a life skill. Dr. May, have any comments? Yes, one of the things um, that I think, you know, message that could get out there before vet school is I don't think, um, I don't think students necessarily understand these days maybe what sort of financial commitment they're signing on to with the cost of veterinary school. I think we could do a much better job both as, as the veterinary industry, but also in, in education of, of just making sure they understand that a little bit better because the cost has has gone up. And sometimes when they make the realization of what that cost means, it's it's too late. Yeah, really good point you made, obviously. So it's interesting in, in, in each of you talking a little bit about your, your path, that life kind of has a way of making other plans for us, right? Even though we think we have charted a course and, um, and set a path forward for ourselves. So let's talk just a little bit about what changed your course? I mean, what was it, Congressman, that led you to where you are today? Well, I, in my case, I always had a passion for history and uh, the system of government that we enjoy in this country. Big fan of, uh, you know, the congressional nature of how we do things, representing the people back home. And I just enjoyed that in school, but didn't think that was a good way to make a living. Uh, and always also had the passion for veterinary medicine and animals. So uh, chose that route, uh, uh, despite the fact it's pretty long, a lot of work, but uh, good hard work that you actually enjoy at the end of the day. And uh, uh, in my community, I'm in Oregon and uh, uh, moved here right out of vet school, took a, a job based on an externship I had, worked in practice for a couple of years and uh, I felt I, I, my goal was to have my own practice back in the day. So I started my own practice and uh, in, in smaller communities, a veterinarian uh, was one of the most trusted individuals in the community. My hometown uh, veterinarian was uh, head of the Chamber of Commerce, uh, president of the school board, and I was on the planning commission and you were just expected to participate. And so kind of one thing led to another and uh, in my home state of Oregon, the state legislature is a part-time job and after serving in various local capacities. So if folks were interested in having me run for the legislature, I could still keep my day job, my veterinary business, my veterinary career, which uh, I enjoyed immensely. Uh, and then, you know, time moves on. And at some point, if you're a small business veterinarian, uh, it's your primary asset, it's your retirement. And I look to maybe sell or find someone. It's tough to find someone these days that's interested in owning a private practice, as I understand. I was fortunate, had a great associate that was interested and sold the practice to her. And this, this job opened up. The congresswoman before me retired and uh, folks in the state legislature thought my, uh, my uh, uh, bipartisan, uh, moderate mix and able to willingness to communicate with everybody was a good Good fit for my district here in the state of Oregon. So I ran for Congress and was fortunate enough to get elected. So you had you were able to have a foot in both worlds for a little while then, it sounds like, which is, you know. I think and, and even still now, Brenda, I would say, you know, I, I'm proud to represent the veterinary medical community and and it's open orientation. I mean, we bridge the gap between sometimes 
the Humane Society and livestock producers. You know, they're they're both extremely important. Have uh, sometimes slightly conflicting interests, and veterinary community I think can be a thoughtful arbiter that has some degree of respect uh, by both groups and. Uh, there's other situations where the federal government trying to clamp down on some of the drug abuse out there tries to restrict certain ingredients that are essential to veterinarians' practices. Uh, and I found uh, that when we're looking at uh, uh, drug drug opportunities, pharmaceutical opportunities, but we do use a lot of conditional use uh, applications that uh, would be much too expensive if we had each pharmaceutical company go through uh, the, the huge clinical trials and stuff they have to do for approval of human drugs. And uh, my intervention uh, last Congress was pretty or pretty essential to making sure we still had access to these things. So I still use all that still deeply in, into veterinary medicine, as well as some of the bigger issues uh, of the day. So the correlations really between veterinary practice and, and politics are, are really, there's a lot more synergy than I think people yeah. would you know, would realize on the surface of things. So and, and there needs to be more, I'd say, in the public health arena, the COVID thing really showcased uh, that we need a lot more veterinarians uh, in public health, in my opinion. Yeah, well, that was a question that, that I wanted to ask as well, you know, about um, policy and COVID. If COVID had an impact on, on public policy, if there are conversations that have changed because of the pandemic. Have you seen that, Congressman? Oh, yeah, yeah. Big time. Uh, one of the things that I think became clear to everybody in America when the, the pandemic hit our shores was the confusion initially. Uh, you know, the Department of Agriculture had one response team's approach. Uh, uh, Health and Human Services had another approach to how uh, folks should be uh, handled coming uh, from overseas. And it became very clear that very few of, uh, well, all due respect, my medical colleagues had a lot of epidemiological background where that's part stock and trade of pretty much every veterinarian's uh, training, uh, some to more or less agree, uh, degree. So what became apparent is we needed a, what I call a one health approach to uh, uh, our health, big health pet, uh, issues of the day. Uh, there's gonna unfortunately probably be another pandemic and we need to respond in a unified, thoughtful manner that instills confidence in the American people uh, that deals with environmental issues, the animal transmission, the zoonotic disease aspect of things, uh, as well as different protocols. And so uh, we've worked in some of the appropriations processes to get that in, inculcated into these agencies. And we're working on legislation as we speak to make sure that we have a smarter response to any future health crises we see. This is, I mean, this is a conversation that really could go on for, for days and days, but I know we don't have that much time. Um, you know, Dr. Mayab, I know in, in, in knowing you as I do, you pay an awful lot of attention to what's going on in the world around you too. And that's kind of led you to the role you're in now, which is a path away from clinical practice as well. So, you know, I think we can segue from all the, the really interesting things that the Congressman has shared here and make those correlations to the impact you've had on veterinary practice and, and your role. Yeah, it, I mean, this is one of the beauties I think of veterinary medicine is because most people probably do enter to, to take, you know, the classic clinical practice pathway, but the, the doors open up. Fortunately for me, I knew early on in vet school actually that clinical practice, at least full-time clinical practice was probably not the best place for me. 
And fortunately, um, at my alma mater, the University of Missouri, big shout out to the Tigers, um, we had a class that was specifically designed to introduce you to other aspects of veterinary medicine, um, including a work in the federal government, work for industry, work in research. And, and so that opened the door to see other things. And, and I, I, again, I knew I probably wouldn't be in full-time clinical practice and industry looked interesting to me. And so I did a few years in clinical practice to get my feet under me and then made the jump to, to industry full-time. And ironically, I still actually do some clinical practice part-time. And, and I think I'd like to connect that back to what Congressman Schrader was saying is, is like, the things that have happened during COVID, but, but even outside of that, I mean, I can't tell you how valuable it is to have someone like him in the position he's in, because some of the things he mentioned, like conditional use of certain pharmaceuticals, you know, that as a veterinarian and for all the veterinarians listening to this podcast, that was going to really resonate because we know how important that is. But we also know that it's a complex topic that maybe others wouldn't understand. And so people are making these decisions that are going to really impact veterinary medicine and, and uh, meat production and, you know, pet health. And to have someone who's in the know in that position, they can help guide that and, and be an expert in Congress and a research for others. I mean, that's just so fantastic. And I think it speaks to really the breadth of preparation that veterinary medicine can provide for people. Both of you gentlemen are truly examples of what I would call servant leadership for the veterinary profession. The profession is fortunate to have, you know, such bright minds working on behalf of, of the profession and the government as well. So with all of your experience, each of you have had has clearly come a lot of wisdom and knowing what you now know, if you had to do this all over again, would you have chosen veterinary medicine? Congressman? Oh yeah. In a heartbeat. I mean, it was, it's, you know, for my generation, veterinary medicine was, was not just a job. It was a lifestyle. It just defined who you were and how you fit into your community and, and everything else. And, I remember back in the day, we complained uh, as new graduates about the fire engine practice, you know, or the veterinarian was a slave to their practice and this and that. I vowed I would never do that. And, and I actually set some parameters. I made sure I attended my kids' preschool. I was the preschool dad, if you will, uh, cut time out. Just I wasn't going to do any veterinary medicine. But, uh, but I was proud to do emergency service back in the day and help people and get involved in the community and uh Man, I, I truly love going to work every day. I had a great team around me, as Brett will tell you, uh, your team, whether it's in industry, public health, or private practice is critical. Uh, and, you know, frankly, the, the patients and the clients, so not, nothing can be pure or more true than how that animal reacts to you. You know exactly where you stand. Uh, I wish it was more of that in uh, Congress, to be honest with you, uh, but it was a wonderful, wonderful career. And there's so many things that can prepare you for so many other careers. So you can uh, actually have a twofer uh, starting in veterinary medicine and go on to something else that you also love. Dr. Mayab, how about you? I, I would definitely do it all over again. I, I mean, there, there's so many, so many positives. And sometimes, especially nowadays, we, we hear a lot of talk about um, the negatives associated with the profession. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to glance over those. There are definitely some challenges, but as the Congressman said, your colleagues are fantastic. Uh, the people you work with. And, and I know for myself, I find, even though I started at, a, I'd say a fairly high place as it relates to pets, I just, 
I fall more and more in love with pets as time goes on, if you can believe it. Um, I was working in a practice last Friday and just, you know, um, I had to do euthanasia and, and I mean, it, it brought tears to my own eyes and I'm a relief vet. So I, I don't even know the client, you know, like I, I, I know the situation, but I don't know them personally, but it was just, you know, seeing someone have to say goodbye to, to their beloved friend. And, and I, and again, I don't want to make this negative, but, but the point of it, the positive point is that, gosh, I mean, just the, the, the pet piece just gets better and better with time. There's great grace in that. And the fact that you can, can help to make even a difficult situation like the one you just described, Dr. Babe, become, you know, as peaceful an experience as possible for everybody, right? Obviously for everyone who's, who's a veterinary practice. So this has been such a fascinating conversation. I do wish we could carry on for much longer, but we can't. So as we come to a close, I'd like to ask you each one last question here. If you were to have a conversation with a veterinarian who is thinking about changing course in their career, leaving, leaving general practice and choosing a new path, you know, what, what word of wisdom would you, would you offer up? Dr. Mayab, let's start with you. Sure. Um, you know, similar to what I said earlier, I think what veterinarians possess, and maybe many of them don't, don't think about possessing it, but it's important is this ability to think critically, you know, in veterinary medicine, we, we rarely have the ability to have all of the information that we would like to have in order to make a decision or a diagnosis or a treatment. And we just have to do it anyway. And, and, and you get better at doing that by building your critical thinking skills. And so anyone who would be looking at leaving general practice for another career path, just know that, that you're bringing a lot to it with that, your experience, your ability to solve problems. What I would say that you, you want to think about sort of building more is just be open, be open to new opportunities. Um, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, there's a certain type of job that veterinarians take, let's say in, in industry and in corporate world. And there, there are those, but there are a lot of other opportunities outside that sort of standard career track that if you're open to, you can learn a lot and you can bring a lot to. Yeah. Congressman Schrader, your thoughts. I think Dr. Marin hit the nail on the head. The critical thinking skills are uh, just superior to many other professions. Uh, I can't tell you how many times in Congress I have people thinking emotionally, but not uh, intellectually about the how to get at the problem. And both are important. You know, we're human beings, for goodness sakes. But you have to actually theoretically get something done. Uh, in Congress. Uh, and so you have to cut through some of that and really look at what are the, the, the real problems going forward. Uh, I guess I'd, I'd put a plug in for public health. You know, if you're a practicing veterinarian, you're kind of tired or maybe burned out a little bit, the commitment, whatever. Uh, we need, we desperately need veterinarians in the public health arena. So I'd really encourage a lot of young people out there that want to look at different career paths. Uh, you know, industry is great too, uh, but, but we really need veterinarians in, in public health. So I put a pitch in for that, Brenda. All right. Well, gentlemen, this has been my pleasure. Thank you very much for taking time today to, to have this really terrific conversation and to share your thoughts with, uh, with everyone listening to this podcast. Thanks so much, Brenda. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brenda.